The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. It's uh, really good to finally be in front of you in chapel. Uh, we were uh, a little nervous last night when I was watching the weather thinking I'm going to get bumped for a third time before the semester even gets started. But we're here. We're going to get started and resume uh, the series that we began in the summer on taking one another seriously. But it's very good to be in front of you. It's good to see so many guests here. Uh, in addition to those who are visiting from uh, other schools or transfer students, we have a partnership with a gap year program uh, called the One Life Institute. And uh, they're here today. Are you here, One Lifers in the back? Please, uh, we want to greet you. Thanks for being here. Uh, all of them from, from One Life, uh, a gap year program that we're in partnership with, and look forward to seeing many of you here uh, next year. Um, want to uh, let all of you know who are guests that we're praying for you and for the students. As Dean Porcello already said, uh, February is uh, one of those months that puts a little strain on you. And I just want to reassure all of you as students that the faculty, staff, and administration are praying for you. Uh, we pray for you regularly and trust that the Lord will bless and encourage you with all that is going on in your life and in the world around us. It's in that spirit that I've actually been taking on this series this year. We began in the summer on taking one another seriously, particularly focusing on that passage in Philippians where we see the humility of Christ outlined and following after that as our example that we would look not only to our interests, but also to the interests of others, that we would consider others more important than ourselves. And so we talked about the various implications of that underlying principle, that we are to be other-oriented. And in the body of Christ, we have an obligation to one another in the way that we think about one another, and the way we speak to one another, the way we treat one another, the way we live our life together as believers. Here at the university, in the various other contexts of which you're a part, and in the body of Christ at large, taking one another seriously is, is a Christian obligation. In our community life covenant at this institution, in addition to the statement of faith that outlines what we believe doctrinally, the community life covenant outlines what we expect from members of this community. It refers to the issue of being respectful and deferential to one another, to accept our covenantal obligation to one another, to love one another and to serve one another. And so we've talked about that, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. And so today I want to continue that and we're going to run through the spring with a couple of other messages related to taking one another seriously. And today I want to focus on this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, particularly verse 17 and the issue of respecting one another. This is actually, I think, um, again, all of these one another passages are interrelated. If you love one another, you should respect one another. If you love one another, you should serve one another. If you love one another, you should encourage one another. But the scripture deals with these kinds of ideas, I think, to actually drive the nails deeper, that the way we look at, view, evaluate, value, speak to, treat one another matters. And it all gets summed up in that first message of the year where we're talking about following the example of Jesus who, allowed, who, 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 who came to this earth and took on the form of the creatures he created with the Heavenly Father and humbled himself as being found in that form and humbling himself to obedience even 
to death, even death on a cross. One of the most humiliating and public kinds of deaths that could be experienced. Following after the example of Jesus is sort of the thread that runs through this entire series. So today I want to focus on this idea of respect. I want to look at this particular passage and what this scripture is saying to the readers at the time and its implications for us as we navigate life in this world. As we think about what it means to respect one another in the context in which we find ourselves, where there is so much tension and so much strife and so much animosity, where we live in in a culture that is evaluating on snap, superficial kinds of preferential reactions to people and to things. What does this passage have to say about the way we view one another in every way? In every way. Well, it's important to remember that uh, this is a passage of Scripture written by the Apostle Peter, that man who walked with Jesus, who experienced what was, in many ways, a humbling transformation. Remember, this is Peter, who is the zealous, emotional, easy uh, to, to respond, quick to react Peter, who goes through everything from sort of finding himself in places of great intimacy with the Lord and then being embarrassed. This is Peter, who wanted, when Jesus washed his feet, to, to be bathed all over, and, and he's, he's got this sort of zeal for wanting to be a, a pleasing to the Lord Jesus, to, to win his approval, to be obedient, to not be found lacking, to do what Jesus wants. He's so earnest in his desire, and yet when he imposes his will on the Lord Jesus, Jesus turns to him and says, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. This is that man who experienced that kind of humbling transformation where his will and his desires and his fervency and his passion and his emotion had to be brought into submission to God and to Jesus Christ. If he was going to have any good in this world, if he was going to make good on the, on the calling the Lord put on his life, he had to set aside his own sort of emotional reactions and passions and, and all of that stuff and become humble and obedient to the Lord Jesus, following after his example. This is that man who is now writing to Christians whom he refers to as the dispersed ones. These Christians who are being driven from their neighborhoods, from their homes, from the regions where they were comfortable because of their faith. There's some indication, and scholars go all over the place depending on how far uh, towards biblical authority they lean or not, and whether or not there was actual physical persecution taking place or simply verbal abuse. Whether it was simply ridicule, because we hear a word that we see words in the, in the epistle like malign. So clearly Christians are experiencing verbal abuse. They're being ridiculed. They're being castigated. They're being derogated. They're being derided. But there's good evidence to suggest that they're also being persecuted, being driven and dispersed. As the the persecutions of Nero are ramping up, the target is set. The emperors will be worshipped as gods and Christians who believe there is no other way but Jesus and no other God but his Father are being targeted, and they're being driven out. They're being shunned and alienated. They are the targets of hostility. This is his audience. And he says to them some very 
hard things to hear. In fact, I'm convinced that what Peter is doing in this letter is to strengthen them in their faith by giving them what is very strong medicine. This is a group of people who are undergoing significant hardship. The threat of life and limb, but all the emotional tension that comes with it. The the sort of temptation to, to not be thinking about one another, but only about themselves and their own children or their own family or the people they like, let alone the people that they have to deal with. When all of that comes on them, all the emotional angst, the fear, the anxiety, the disparity, the depression, all of that is piled on them in the the circumstances in which they find themselves. Those cultural and social contextual things that are bearing down on them and the burdens of their own individual lives. It would be unreasonable to think that the Christians that Peter is writing to here are only experiencing the tension that results from an oppressive regime like the Roman Empire, that none of them are struggling with disease or relational break or familial problems or rebellious child or economic ruin. All of those things are present as well. They're living real life in a real world that's getting increasingly harsh. And what Peter does is deliver for them what is strong medicine. But strong medicine is not meant to break us. It is meant to work in us. It's not meant to embarrass you or to make you feel worse about yourself or to make you feel weaker. It's actually meant to strengthen you. It's actually meant to bring about good in you. It's bitter because it will will burn and it's bitter, but it's the right thing to do for you. You know, I was thinking about this picture. Some of you know, my son is serving in the Navy and he went through medic training. They talk about this idea of binding up wounds. And I love the fact they still talk about that language because that's biblical language. Binding up wounds is not a painless activity. When someone breaks a bone that must be set or has a wound that must be bound, the binding of that bandage around that wound or around that broken bone creates more pain, but it's the path to healing. And the Apostle Peter is delivering honest, spirit-inspired teaching that is strong medicine. Just think for a minute of how this would have gone down. Be subject, verse 13, as Dean Porcello read, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Wait, Jesus, do you understand? Peter, do you understand what you're asking us to do? Be subject to every human institution. These are the Romans we're talking about. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This would have been bitter medicine in the mouth of these Christians. I can't imagine the conversations that would have taken place after the letter is read and they're talking to one another in fellowship, leaving the room together, saying, man, that is not going to be easy. But verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There's something else for you to learn. Look, Peter understood this very well. Remember in the garden when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Draws the sword and strikes at the the arresting officers. And he's so bad with a sword, he isn't, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an, an action of precision swordsmanship. Peter takes off the sword of Mal, the ear of Malchus, the servant, because he was trying to take off someone else's head. It's not that he's an expert swordsman, he's just a zealous person who says, no, no, not this. I have a sword and I'm going to use it. 
Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, put up the sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? He wasn't condemning Peter for having a sword. He wasn't even condemning Peter for using a sword. He's condemning Peter for wanting the wrong things. Wanting the wrong things. This is what we do, Peter. I've told you this all along. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be bound and taken where I don't want to go. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as free people who are free. How? We're not. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Those, those four verses are strong medicine for persecuted Christians living in this day. But then in verse 17, it takes a turn towards something very practical with serious implications for all of us. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There's not a single clause in that verse that's meant to be easy. Honor everyone. No, you don't understand. Like, they're not all honorable. I, I, don't, I don't really like everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Well, if they were all easily loved, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but let's be honest, right? I mean, we all do this. I got to love you, but I don't got to like you. That's not what it says. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Reverence God. Look what he's put us in. Look at the situation we find ourselves in. How could I honor and respect and revere that God? Honor the emperor, you must be kidding. You must be kidding. This is the point. The Bible is honest, true, and penetrating. It requires us to take it seriously as we strive to take one another seriously, and we cannot do one without the other. There is no taking one another seriously. There is no true body life. There is no caring for one another as the Scripture teaches us unless we're willing to submit ourselves to its authority and its teaching. The way that we live together in a manner that is pleasing to God requires our humble obedience and submission to the authoritative word of God. We have to take the Bible seriously. We don't get to pick and choose. When I think about this concluding verse in the passage on the issue of respect, there's so much that comes into my mind in my own experience and how, how full and robust the term respect is. The ESV uses the word honor. The NIV says this, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Honoring one another, showing proper respect to one another, that's what this verse is talking about. Respect. Respect. I submit to you this morning that we find ourselves in a world that has many, many, many points of crisis as a culture. But respect has to be near the top of the list. The absence of it, the, 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 the rejection of it, the disbelief in it, the lack of it, it's very interesting to me that the Apostle Peter chooses that construct here. 
honor one another, show proper respect to everyone. It must be important. It must be important. Well, look at what he's saying here. Show proper respect to everyone. That underscores one thing. Showing proper respect to everyone, honoring everyone, isn't conditional. It isn't preferential. It isn't dependent upon being shown the same in return. It is rooted in the teaching and example of Jesus Christ alone. That is the thing that we must come to terms with. The idea of respect, of of showing proper respect and honoring others is following after the example in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get to do it according to our own preferences. Well, I have no problem respecting that type of person. I just don't respect this type of person. We're now not talking about respect in the way of condone, affirm, and, and acknowledge, certify, put my hand of approval on. We're not talking about that. We're talking about showing that someone has value. We're talking about showing that someone can be honored, either by position or by... We're not talking now about whether or not you like someone or whether or not you prefer them. We're actually talking about being respectful. Clearly, Peter isn't saying respect everyone and and including in that the pagan neighbors and, and officials who would have been doing harm to the church, meaning that you should condone what they're doing. He must be talking about something greater than that, something bigger than that, something harder than that, to be honest. Because respecting one another grows out of our theology and worldview. It sees the image of God in others. It follows the pattern of Christ, and it manifests itself in our attitudes and our actions. Showing proper respect to everyone is an outworking of our theology. We believe that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And so as believers in God and followers of his word and servants of Jesus Christ, when we look at others, that is what we see. We also recognize the power of sin in the fall. That we have this this picture of God specially creating human beings in his own image and likeness and breathing life into them in a way that separates them from all other things in creation. They bear the image of God. They are also marred and broken, irretrievably lost as a result of sin in the fall. Yet God chooses to redeem and save them apart from their sinfulness and their brokenness, both by their nature and by their actions. How could we do less than to see them as God does? Respecting one another grows out of our theology and worldview. And it is following the pattern of Christ. It's not conforming to the image of the world, which is fickle and cynical and preferential. And this respecting others grows out of That commitment, and it manifests ourself both in our actions and our attitudes. Listen, we deal with this all the time. Some of you are more action-oriented than attitude-oriented. When I was in grad school, psychologically and social psychology, we refer to it as belief and behavior. Which follows? Do our behaviors follow our beliefs? In other words, our actions follow our attitudes? Or is it the other way around? 
And while I wrestled with that issue when I was here as a student, it was really studying psychology where I thought, what do I really believe? Do I believe that my beliefs actually drive my actions, my behaviors? If I believe this to be true, I behave this way. And when I'm honest with myself, what I realize is if I start behaving this way, all of a sudden I'm modifying my beliefs and attitudes accordingly. There's a relationship between our attitudes and our actions. And this kind of respecting one another, it manifests itself in both the way I evaluate you the way I, I be, what I believe to be true about you, and the way I treat you, the way I think about you, and the way I talk to you, the way I judge you, and the way I care for you. And that's what we're talking about here. This idea of respect penetrates into that realm of our existence, both our thought life and our behaviors, the outward working of that. If you think about it this way, there are all kinds of practical implications that should make us squirm just a little bit in our seats. To show proper respect to everyone is then to be respectful. I don't think I need to draw a diagram. I think you understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about, about condoning something, something every, everything that someone does or thinks. We're actually talking about being respectful that it is possible to disagree, even to have sharp disagreements, and to be respectful. But think about the implications, if that's what we're talking about in this verse. Think about the implications for so much stuff. The way we deal with space. Respecting people's space. Respecting people's stuff. Respecting people's talk. Being respectful with our own talk the kind of humor that we engage in, the kind of things that make us laugh, the kinds of things we share with others, the way we behave and think in our relationships, both in our friendships and in romantic relationships. Is respect the order of the day? Is it evident? Would we characterize it as such? One of the most disrespectful things that we can do without even realizing it because the culture sort of deems these things as acceptable, everybody's doing it, is coarse jesting. It's just a joke. I didn't mean it to be disrespectful. But if it's a joke about someone's size or appearance or race or gender, if it's a joke about where they come from or how much they have or how they dress, how can that be anything but disrespectful? Just because it's funny doesn't make it respectful, and just because it's funny doesn't excuse it. The way that we think about one another in our relationships with one another. Look, men and women, if you're in a relationship with one another and you're pursuing what should be a lifetime commitment in marriage and there's not respect, run away now. Get out. End it. Respect is a manifestation of biblical Christian character. And if someone is disrespectful in the way they look at you or talk to you, if they're dismissing you, if they're ridiculing you or deriding you, there's no respect. There's no value being placed upon you. There's no, there's no sense in which this verse is being applied to the way they think and the way they live. You should be cautious about relationships with people like that. Because they're walking the way of the world and not the way of the Lord. B, 
Being respectful shows up in the way that we dress. Are we being respectful to others in our lives? Men to women, women to men, our parents, other people in the church? We say, well, I'm not supposed to meet their expectations. We're supposed to please God, not man. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being respectful. I'm not talking about behaving in such a way that says you're trying to conform to someone else's standards. I'm talking about treating one another, everyone, with respect. The way we dress, the things we like. The practical implications of this are penetrating. The way we respond to authority. The way we talk about it. The way we talk about sex and members of the opposite sex. The way we think and talk about race. The first thing that pops into our mind when we see someone different from ourselves. When we disagree with people. Inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church, the way of the Christian is to be respectful. Well, what makes that so difficult? Just think about the world in which we find ourselves. Do you know what I mean when I talk about being flippant? Flippancy? I say something, do something. Who cares? I don't have to give it much thought. I don't have to weigh the consequences or the implications. I don't have to think about its impact. It's just something that popped into my head, so it went out. I didn't have to filter it. I didn't have to judge it. I didn't have to analyze it. I didn't have to restrain myself. It's just flippant. I just flippant. Flippant from which we get flip and flip off and all of those kinds of things. We just sort of do whatever comes to us. Well, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about cynicism, the kind of skepticism and cynicism, the sharp attitudes of judgment that nothing was worthwhile and nothing really matters. Well, when you combine being flippant and being cynical, you have a problem. And the flippancy and cynicism and antagonism of our culture is antithetical to the biblical standard of showing honor and respect to everyone. We must not conform to the pattern of the world around us. We have a higher obligation. Now listen, there's a lot to be teased out here, and we don't have time to do it all. Respecting everyone, respecting others, doesn't mean we don't disagree It doesn't mean we don't assess and analyze attitudes and actions. It doesn't mean we don't exhort one another. It means that when we do those things, we do them respectfully. In this particular area of life, in our life together and in your life in this world, we should be striving for what is authentic and genuine, for what is real, not fake, for what is deep, not shallow should be an abiding characteristic, a quality of ours, that we're respectful even when we disagree viscerally with someone. That we do not deride or derogate or call down or make fun or make light of or be dismissive. This is not an act of being respectful. It's actually being respectful because of the way we see ourselves before God, the way we see others made in his image and likeness, and out of our desire to be pleasing to him and to obey him. I was thinking about all of this and the hard sayings that are here. 
Think about how easy it would be just to say, well, then this is the standard, then I just won't say these things. That's really what we're struggling with, even in terms of the social and cultural issues, whether they're political or whether they're economic or racial, the issues about, well, I won't say this. I'll, 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 I'll walk the line. Tell me where the boundaries are. Show me what sacrifices I can make to stand approved. When I think that way, I think of that passage in 1 Samuel. To obey is better than sacrifice. We should want to be checked in our thinking and our judgments and our evaluations and our reactions and our attitudes and our speech and our behaviors towards one another because we want to live a life that is obedient to the Lord and pleasing to him. At the end of the day, for all of the things that we are facing in this world, what Peter is calling to these dispersed Christians who are experiencing immeasurable hardship, psychological and emotional tension, that obedient submission to Christ and his word means respecting everyone. And obedient submission to Christ is what we should want. To be his followers means that we care about that. We care about his teaching and his examples. We care about living a life that is pleasing to him. And we crucify ourselves and our own wills in submission to his, which includes this dimension of taking one another seriously. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, able to divide between joint and marrow. We pray that your spirit would be at work in us, individually and collectively, to use your word to accomplish your work, to conform us to the image of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Have a great week.